0: Welcome to the Abbott Loop Community Church Podcast. Enjoy this message from Mark Drake. Open your Bibles if you would. We're going to be reading through Romans chapter 4. The last few weeks we've been going through, uh, and our intention is that uh, we're going to get all the way through to the end of chapter 5 over the next two weeks, and then we'll move on to some other things. But we really felt strongly impressed that we needed to begin this journey through the book of Romans one of the reasons is because Romans is unique in that it was written to a group of churches in and around the city of Rome by the, by the Apostle Paul, but it was one of the only letters that we have, it is the only letter we have, that Paul wrote to a group that he did not found. Uh, the other churches in Ephesus, Galatia, Corinth, those, those churches were originally founded by Paul and his apostolic teams. Uh, Or Timothy, Titus. These were people that he personally mentored and discipled. Romans, on the other hand, he had not been there. uh, But he was planning on going. Uh, (laughs) It didn't turn out quite the, 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 the transportation mode was not exactly what he had in mind. But he had felt for many years that he would be going to Rome. And so he wanted to prepare the people there for the message that he was preaching throughout Asia. And he referred to it. Repeatedly as my gospel the gospel that came to him as a direct revelation uh, From several encounters. He had with the risen Christ So what Paul did in writing the book of Romans is he lays out in great detail the heart of the gospel the heart of the new covenant and he emphasizes in these first few chapters that relationship with God is based on what God has done and not what we have done it is based on what God is doing and when we come into relationship with him and understand what he has done for us already then a miracle begins in our hearts you know we've been going through each of these chapters starting out with the power of the gospel in chapter 1 uh, uh, Rick Benjamin did a great job a couple of weeks ago talking about This issue of Jews and Gentile and so as we read through chapter 4 Paul's going to make a reference to the circumcision and the uncircumcised when he does that he's talking about the Jews generally as a group the circumcision the uncircumcised he's referring to everybody else when Paul writes this he writes it in a very logical way the book of Romans is laid out uh, in a very logical path that we follow Because he is trying to communicate to people when we read it. It sometimes Feels difficult to understand it, but I want to encourage you the people that Paul was writing to we know from history that in the first century uh, somewhere around 95% of the people alive in Paul's day could not read So when Paul or the other uh, the other apostolic writers would send a letter They frequently had to pick somebody to deliver the letter who could read it and answer questions In this case, it was a woman Phoebe who delivered the letter And obviously had to be able to answer questions about Paul's teaching But the reason that's important is because we when we approach this And we find words, justification, righteousness, circumcision, words that don't uh, normally fit into our daily uh, conversation, it's easy just to think to ourselves, well, you know, I I really can't understand this. But that's not true. One of the reasons it's not true is because Paul did write in a very simple way because he knew that most people that were going to hear it and ask questions about it were not really educated second thing that we need to realize is that the true teacher, the Holy Spirit, if you're a child of God, He's living in you. He's already in you. So He doesn't have to bring anything so that only the scholars can understand it. The reason we titled this Romans for the Rest of Us is because it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking, well, I don't know enough about the Bible, I can't understand this. The truth is that the teachers inside of each one of us, if we're born again, and he wants to unlock the keys in this. And Paul really does this as a service in this letter in that he does, in cha- especially in chapter 4, he poses a series of questions, then he leads us to the answers. It's almost like a catechism. He'll ask a question, then he'll give us the answer. But in order to understand this, the, we have to approach it the same way that we approach any other part of the Bible and that is by keeping three simple rules in mind when we read. And those rules are these. Now, this is one of the few times that you'll you'll see that I put my points all starting alphabetically with the same letter of the alphabet. A really good teacher always has three or five points and they always begin with the same letter of the alphabet. <laughs> I'm not smart enough to do that, but in this case it just happened to work out. But these are the three things that I use every day In my Bible reading this is how I try to come to an understanding Uh, and by the way not just in Bible reading but reading of any kind these are the simple rules number one is to consider context and by context we're, we're referring to the very simple reality that we want to read the verses before and the verses after and that sets a context for us second is comprehending culture Now there's a lot of things when we talked about uh, women's role in leadership and in ministry We talked a lot about culture my newest book the new covenant role of women in leadership I talk a lot about culture and the reason that uh, both Peter and Paul said Such uh, bizarre things as women don't ever braid your hair. What in the world does that mean? Well, if we understood that in the culture of Paul's day uh, The women who went out with their hair braided and uncovered were prostitutes and that was part of the way they advertised. So, understanding culture is important. The cultural issue here, I think, is that we're dealing with salvation and teaching the gospel to people who had very little education, most of whom could not read. The third thing is the practice of comparing common scripture. Because none of these letters are written like a normal book would be written. You have an introduction, you lay out a, a, a point of, of, of tension or questioning you develop characters the story unfolds you come to an obvious climax at the end and when you're done you say okay now i understand these are letters uh in the new testament they're not books so we have to understand that we have to compare them together because many of the people that paul was writing to he had already personally taught these things and so he makes shorthand references to them he doesn't always go into great detail Romans is a little different. He goes into quite a bit of detail. So let's start out with this issue of Considering context for us to understand the fourth chapter and by the way, please understand I know most of you know this that the letters uh, Romans was originally not written chapter 1 verse 1 chapter 2 verse 2. It was not written that way Those chapters and verse distinctions were added around the 12th or the 13th century Sometimes they help us. Normally they do. Sometimes they don't sometimes they cut a thought right in the middle But the way to overcome that is to consider context. So when we approach chapter 4 We're assuming that we've already read chapter 3 and chapter 3 sets the context For what he's going to unpack in chapter 4 and one of the easiest ways to see that is in Romans 3 verse 22 Because this is really the unpacking Paul does in chapter 4 is based on this one simple statement this righteousness from God Comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe now Paul's point here is going to be That God and God alone Could do what was necessary to bring us into right relationship with him. We couldn't do it keeping the rules of good behavior, cannot do it, but God has done it himself for himself and then given it to us as a gift. So in chapter four, Paul is going to begin talking about the kind of faith that is needed in order to be made right with God. Now that's the that that's the before context. The after context is in Romans 5 1. And we we know that it's easy to know that because it begins with therefore and Whenever you see a therefore you need to find out what it's Therefore exactly or you could say as a result of So Paul begins chapter 5 with as a result of what I just said in chapter 4 Then we have this So what do we have as as a result? Well? the context will help us understand that and the context is beginning in chapter five verse one therefore since we have been justified by faith so chapter four is all about being justified by faith the result is we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we stand so what paul's going to draw our attention to and teach us in chapter four is supposed to result in us having faith before god us having peace with god and us understanding uh, what grace really is and how to begin to grow in grace and to live in grace and it all starts with this issue of what we believe the truth is your belief will determine your behavior and the beauty of the miracle of the new covenant is That as we renew our minds in right believing the Holy Spirit then begins to affect our behavior it's easy for some to say oh well when you just say believe 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 uh, it's too simple but the reality is that the act of believing now we're going to talk about what we have to believe you have to believe the right thing so definitions matter but here we have it now Let me go back just for a minute because uh, I don't want to miss this The core message that paul traveled throughout asia teaching can be found in acts 13 Verse 38 and 39 This is the core message That he was teaching wherever he went now listen to this therefore my brothers I want you to know that through jesus The forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you now listen to the way he defines or describes Forgiveness through Jesus not just forgiveness in general, but through Jesus through him everyone who believes is justified from what Everything you could not be justified through or from by the law of Moses So the cornerstone of Paul's message is the chief cornerstone Christ himself that through the work Jesus did we have been justified now let's talk just for a minute about justified or justification. Justification means that we have been made right. We have been made right by God's work. We don't make ourselves right. We have been made right. One of the easiest ways to remember the definition of justification is just as if you never sinned. What God does for us is he not only pays the price, but he took upon himself the penalty so that our sins were removed. We're going to come back to that in just a moment, but it's important to understand. Here's the context. Righteousness comes through faith, he says in chapter 3. As a result of that, we have peace with God and we have access to the power of his grace. Then we come to chapter 4 as we read through chapter four i want you to keep this in mind that when we're reading the bible remind yourself that the model clarifies the meaning in fact this is true virtually in all languages and you've heard me say this before if if i were to say to you hey listen i forgot my my satchel with my notes in it would you go out into my boot and get my bag well if i was in great britain you would understand exactly what I meant. Over here, you would say, how big are your boots, that you could carry your bag inside of your boot?" But in Great Britain, you would know that I'm referring to the trunk of my car. Well, the model clarifies the meaning. If you say "Your your, your boots are out in the parking lot, yeah, that white one right there. Oh, your car. The model clarifies the meaning. And the reason that's important is because you and I were not there for that three and a half years where Jesus taught. The people who were there were able to interact with him. We know that he said a whole lot more than what we have records of. John said if everything was written down that Jesus said and did, uh, the books in the world could not contain. There's a lot going on that we don't know about. But when we read the Gospels, it helps us. However, when we read the Gospels, we still face some limitations because you know that when you watch someone talk and not just read their writings, you get a much broader understanding of what they mean. By listening to me right now, it's probably pretty obvious that I feel very strongly about, about this chapter 4. I, I, and the reason I feel very strongly about it is because for the last few weeks, I, uh, Lee, other teachers on our staff, and pastor, we've been talking about this and feeding on these words for weeks now. So I'm a little pumped. Now, if I just wrote this out and sent it to you, you would not be able to get the idea that I'm pretty pumped up about this. Uh, last week, Lee, uh, when Lee got up here in the first service, she broke down crying. I mean, she was very emotional, and some people didn't quite know what was going on, but the reason is because she'd been feeding on what it means to be made righteous before God as a gift. She'd been eating on that all week long. But you had to watch her and see her and not just read what she was delivering same way with the scripture We read the words of Jesus in the way he acted but when we see the way the disciples Modeled that in their life in the book of Acts in the following epistles. It helps to clarify the meaning So let's begin in chapter 4 uh, with Paul And let me say this as we start it, that what Paul does in this chapter, which is a great benefit to us, is he poses a series of questions. And then he gives the answers. Now, I'm going to kind of let the the secret out of the bag here and get right to the answers first. This is what he wants chapter 4 to convince us of. And when we're convinced and put our faith in it, then certain things change in our lives. Number one... He's going to try to convince us in chapter 4 that those who put faith in God the way Abraham put his faith in God Have been justified. Excuse me have been justified Before God that's one of the results of reading chapter 4 is that I should come to believe that I have been Justified now the literal Greek for justification means to make just or to make innocent again The easiest way to understand it for me is just as if I'd never sinned. You say, well, how is that possible? Because he's God. And that's the whole point of the new covenant is that God wants to do a miracle. This requires a miracle. But Jesus has already taken upon himself the penalty for our sin. He paid for that penalty or he paid the penalty for it. And the result is, number one, we've been justified Just as if we'd never sinned. now, it's hard to wrap our brains around that That's why we need to keep renewing our mind by reading this over and over and over again So that our minds are constantly being renewed number two We're told in uh, in in the after part of the context chapter 5 verse 1 that we now have peace with God put another way God is not mad at you if you've received the gift of rightness with God through Jesus, God has put away his anger. He's not mad at us any longer. One of my favorite passages on this is Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 54. In fact, I'm writing a, an ebook on that right now. But Isaiah 53 is, he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The sin of us all been laid upon him. How many believe that? You believe that? If you believe that, then we also then have to read into chapter 54 and believe what comes next. What comes next is God speaking, saying, As I swore to my servant Noah, I would never flood the earth again, I swear to you now, I will never be angry with you again. That's awesome. But how many are honest enough to say, Yeah, but I don't always feel that way? Which is why we have to be renewed and have our mind renewed over and over and over again. Which is why, by the way, that Sunday after Sunday, as we're going through Romans, we're all essentially saying the same thing, is that we're trying to bring us to an understanding where we believe what Abraham believed. And then the third thing is that as a result of believing these things, we have access to the miracle of grace. The miracle of grace is the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, through us, changing us in the process. But of course, the question is, well, how do I enjoy peace with god how do i live with the knowledge that i'm not condemned but i've been justified how do i experience the miraculous power of grace changing me from the inside out paul's answer is the how of this is to believe what abraham believed so let's begin verse 1 chapter 4 how or what then shall we say That Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter, question mark. Now, right off the bat, there's some confusion. What matter is Paul talking about? What issue is Paul talking about in regards to Abraham? Well, we back up in the previous chapter where he emphasizes that this is about God justifying us, making us right with him. Bringing us into right relationship without us doing any work to achieve it, but simply choosing to believe it. And the choice to believe it. You say, yeah, that's too simple. Well, pulling the trigger on a gun is pretty simple too. But the simple act of pulling the trigger releases a force far more powerful than the act it took to believe. That's the miracle of the new covenant. It releases by our faith, believing God means what he says, that releases a power way beyond what it took for us to actually believe it. So the matter is, that he's talking about, is how is a person justified? How are they made right with God? And and it's interesting to note, I think, to remember that justified and righteousness come from the same root word. They essentially mean the same thing. If you've been justified you've been made right in this case made right with God so what are we going to say about Abraham about this matter of how does a person be made right with God verse 2 if in fact Abraham was justified by works he had something to boast about but not before God what does the scripture say now here's the key right here Abraham believed God And it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed. Now, obviously, then we have to deal with the question, well, what was it that Abraham believed? Now, one of the things that I struggled with for many years in the first 25 years of my walk in Christ is that I somehow I got a hold of this idea that what God does is he forgives you and then he hands you a Bible and says, do all this. <laughs> and so I read and studied and memorized and gritted my tree, my teeth and tried to do. A few things came rather easy because of my personality. But a lot of things I found myself falling short again and again and again. But my dilemma was, and I just learned this acronym just a few years ago, uh, DIY. Does anybody know what that stands for? DIY do it yourself yourself. I'm such a dunce I only learned what that meant just a couple of years ago my kids had to tell me but I I do have a an excuse I am one of the world's worst mechanical guys you'll ever meet I just learned a few years ago that there was actually two kinds of screwdrivers and uh, one of them was named Philip and I'm not sure why I've studied the Bible and I cannot find why that's the case but but I literally approach my Christianity as if it were a do-it-yourself project. I mean, you got the Bible. What more do you need, right? Just read it and do it. Well, here's the good news. The good news is that the miracle of true New Covenant Christianity is not a do-it-yourself project. It is a D-I-T-M. Do it to me. That's what the miracle of regeneration And The New Covenant is all about you are made righteous then you begin to behave Righteously, and the more you renew your mind in the fact that you have been eternally made right with God The more you grow in your ability to choose right behavior But the 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 right behavior is a result of the right believing so Paul emphasizes about Abraham and he says what shall we say Abraham this is what we say Abraham believed God that's the answer Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness now the question would be yeah but what did Abraham believe specifically what did Abraham believe because that's what I'm supposed to believe let me put it like this Abraham believed that God would do for him what he could not possibly do for himself That's what Abraham believed. God said, I will make you right with me without you doing anything other than believing. I will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Then, as God frequently does, he created a situation in Abraham's natural life that would illustrate what God was promising in his spiritual life. He promised him a son, even though both of them were already too old to have children. And Abraham said, I have no heir. I have no son. And God said, yeah, I know this is part of the plan. I'm going to give you a miracle child. I'm going to give you a miracle. I'm going to do for you what you cannot possibly do for yourself. So what Abraham believed is, God will do for me what I cannot do for myself. What you and I must believe is that God will make us right when we cannot make ourselves right. We need to believe that His holiness will change our unholiness. Oh, I want so much to run on a rabbit trail here and touch on what Lee touched and meant just a moment uh, in her, her teaching last week. And that is about the woman who had the issue of blood, the woman, the woman who was hemorrhaging all the time for 12 years. Number one, she was unclean, was not supposed to be around any people because of the blood. But number two, she was supposed to yell out when anybody got very close to her, unclean, unclean. But instead, she had the boldness to press up to Jesus and actually touch him. She was wrong in every way you could possibly be wrong. But here's the beauty. Her uncleanness didn't make Jesus unclean. His cleanliness made her clean. His holiness makes us holy. His rightness makes us right. That's what Abraham believed. You will do for me what I cannot possibly do for myself. And that's what we have to believe. Now, let's follow on here because we want to read through the chapter. Verse 4. Now, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However... To the man who does not work now stop right there when you're reading your Bible here's a moment where you have to stop and say wait a minute a man who does not work work for what as we back up we understand in the context that the work here is to be made right with God a man who does not work to be made right with God but trust God Who does the work, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. So we we, we come to this question, how many good works do I have to do to be made right with God? And the answer is none. And as long as you think that way, you'll never have the faith to believe what God wants to do inside of us. This is God working, not us we are the result we're the clay he's the potter we're the branch he's the life-giving vine right he's the worker we're the workmanship the result of his work now again and, and all of us who are teaching this during this series we have to keep stopping and saying we're not saying that just some simple mental ascent means then you can do whatever you want to do live any way you want to live The reality of the miracle of the new covenant is that when I truly believe this, a miracle of transformation begins. And the more I renew my mind on it, the more the miracle of grace works in my life. Right believing will produce right behavior. Every time, every time, that is the promise of God. So we go on. When a man works, it's credited to him as An obligation God is not obligated to any of us because no matter how hard we try to be like him we're gonna fall way shorter than we can even imagine because he is the absolute perfection but when we trust God then a miracle begins to work inside of us now he goes on and he says David says the same thing and again pastor Lee brought this up last week and I, I, I really appreciated what she had to say and I've been thinking about it all week David is unique in the Old Testament not the only one who thought this way, but he is the primary one that we're told about. Though David lived under the old covenant, which meant that his sins were covered by sacrifice, but because they were still there, he kept behaving badly and had to keep coming back, making sacrifice, 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 had to keep it up over and over and over again. In the new covenant, Jesus offered sacrifice once for all. But David had a unique revelation, a unique understanding. That went beyond the Old Covenant repetitiveness. So da- uh, Paul quotes David here and he says, David says the same thing. Now, when we say the same thing, what's the same thing? That if a man believes, then he is justified before God. That results in behavior, but it begins by belief. And he says, David says the same thing. When he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart. part from work. And, and this is he's quoting from the book of Psalms. By the way, the book of Psalms is quoted in the New Testament more often than in any other book. Because David did have this unique understanding. And this is what he says. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. But then he goes on. At the end of the old covenant, the sins were covered. But because they were still alive, the people kept doing them. They had to keep sacrificing year after year, year after year. But David goes on and says, but blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. It's an amazing statement. It's an amazing statement. It's a statement that I have to keep renewing my mind in all the time. Because everything around me tries to say the wrong thing. You're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty. You're still not good enough. But the problem is I'll never be good enough as long as that's where my focus is. When my focus is the work of Christ, both at the cross and within me today, when that's my focus, then grace works in me and I'm being transformed. I'm being changed. But that has to be my focus. So blessed is he who believes this, who believes that God justifies the wicked and will never count our sins against us. Now, that was the core message that Paul taught as he traveled around. We saw it in the book of Acts. Paul traveled around teaching that he who has put his faith in Christ is justified from everything that the law could never justify us from. So David could see this. Psalm 103 and many other places, but verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That sounds like it's right out of the New Testament, but it's out of the book of Psalms because David prophetically had an understanding. And of course, when you read more of what Paul has to say, both Paul and Peter say every prophet under the old covenant was actually speaking about this topic Even though they didn't understand it. David certainly was. Verse 9, chapter 4. Now, is this blessedness? Now, what, again, you stop there and say, wait a minute, what blessedness? Paul just got done saying, quoting David, Blessed is the one who knows the Lord will never count his sins against him. If you know that, you believe in that, you renew your mind in that, you live in that, then he says, he asks this question again. Is this blessedness for the circumcised or the jews only or is it also for the uncircumcised gentiles then he goes on with his own answer we have been saying that abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness now here another question under what circumstances what it credited? all right let's talk about this in plain simple language we have been saying speaking on paul's behalf we have been saying that abraham believed, and as a result, God made him righteous. He did not do any work to earn righteousness. He simply believed God. Now, as a result of that, our behavior then begins to change. But the key is always what we believe. So Paul then says, now, under what circumstances was Abraham made right? Now, this is a which comes first question that he's going to ask. Was Abraham made righteous after he was circumcised? Or was it before? This is an important question. Am I right with God after I begin to do Christ-like things? Or am I right with God the moment I believe and that then begins to empower me to start to do Christ-like things? This is the question that Paul presents. Because the Jews, think about it a jewish man was circumcised when he was eight days old he had nothing to do with it except the pain (laughs) he had nothing to do with it his parents made the decision so paul is trying to give us which comes first and you and i have to be rooted and grounded in the answer to this question which comes first good behavior or good believing Right behavior or right believing, which comes first? We've got to get this clear in our minds. God must do in us first. God must do in us first. That's the reason that Paul said the heart of the new covenant is Christ comes to live in you. And as a result, fruit from the spirit who's living in you begins to flow out of you we do not produce good fruit so that God will accept us we rejoice in the knowledge that we've been accepted by the Father and that begins the work inside of us of transforming us so we've got to get what comes first and it's always this way when you find yourself getting off the track when you find yourself falling off the right way the the answer is not to look in the mirror and try to add up all the ways that you're missing it and then grit your teeth and make your list. I gotta stop this and stop that. That's not the answer. The answer is to look at the vine, to focus on the vine. That's where my life is coming from. And I'm in this situation of making stupid choices and reaping what I've sown because I've gotten my, my focus off of the life of the vine. I've gotten it onto myself, I've gotten it onto my own understanding i got to focus back on the vine. Which comes first? He comes first. His work in us comes first. We believe that. We believe the promise that he's made to us. And then the miracle begins. In the Old Testament, the sign that you were a good Jewish man was circumcision. But in the New Testament, the sign of what God is doing, Paul refers to as the circumcision of the heart. Something is cut away from us internally, not externally, but internally. In fact, when you go back to Pastor Rick's sharing with us from chapter 2, we read this, Romans chapter 2, verse 28. A man is not a Jew if he is one outwardly or only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew uh, if he is one inwardly, And circumcision is the circumcision of the heart by the Spirit. See, this is the miracle of regeneration that starts when we enter into the new covenant, when we believe the promise that has been made through us in Christ. It begins a miracle. And there's a circumcising of our inward heart by the Spirit. I love this. Galatians 6 says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. See, the miracle of true Christianity is there's a miracle going on inside of you. There's a miracle of change and transformation going on inside of us when we believe what God has promised us. All right, we've got to keep on moving here because we've got to be done by 2 o'clock. Verse 13 <laughs> I won't I won't use up all my time. All right verse 13 It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world But through the righteousness that comes by faith Righteousness right relationship that comes by faith But what am I supposed to believe that God will do for you what you cannot do for yourself? God has done for you What you cannot do for yourself? You will get the ever-growing benefit of what he's done if you'll believe but you cannot begin it by trying to do a good work but to believe Through righteousness that comes by faith for those who live by the law are heirs If those who live by the law are heirs, then faith has no value and the promise is worthless Because law brings wrath and where there is no law there is no transgression Therefore and again, we find another therefore so we have to connect this to what we've been reading Therefore the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace. And by the way grace always causes Christ to get the credit. See any any change transformation godliness in your behavior has to be set up so that he gets all the credit. There can't be any other way for this to work so that he gets all the credit. So then the promise comes by faith so that it might be grace and now listen to this and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Well, wait a minute. I'm, I'm Native American Choctaw tribe. I'm not Jewish So I guess I I don't I don't get in this. Oh, no, 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 no Abraham's offspring Has nothing to do with genetics Abraham's offspring has nothing to do with whether you are genetically a Jew or a Gentile But this promise is guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring not only to those who are of the law But also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. What was Abraham's faith? I believe that God will do for me what I cannot do for myself. He is the father of us all As it is written verse 17. I have made you the father of many nations Perhaps the biggest mistake The Pharisees made in the day of Jesus was reducing God's work down to God only cares about the Jews. When the original promise was not, I will make you the father of a nation. The original promise was, I will make you the father of many nations. And we find the fulfillment of that in Revelation. When John says in chapter 5, I looked and I heard this singing. And when I looked, I saw a number that no man could number. And it was made up of every tribe, every kindred, every tongue, every nation, every genetic offspring. Everybody who was crying out to the Lamb. So the original promise was for many nations, not just one. They were to be the instrument that God wanted to use to bring this message to the world. They then began to exclude themselves from the world rather than bringing it to the world. Paul goes on, verse 17, he is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. I just want to make one statement here. There is what I consider to be Uh, Some pretty destructive teaching out there that leads some people to teach that you and I should be able to call into being that which is not If we're sick, we just call our healing into being if we're poor we call our prosperity into being a Simple reading of this verse says that Paul is talking not about Abraham, but about whom Who God? God is the one who gives life. I can pray for it, but I certainly can't give it. God is the one who spoke and the world came into being. By the way, God didn't have to speak over and over and over and over again to convince him for the worlds to be created. I do, but he doesn't. And that's the kind of faith I want to have. I want to have faith in him, not faith in my ability to have faith. That book will be available soon. All right. Oh, Jesus, help us. All right, let me, let me, let me, let me bring this horse to a pretty quick close. Verse 18, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. And that Sarah's womb was also dead yet. He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham was right before God because he believed God when he said, I will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Now. When We wrap this up. We have to be honest and have integrity when we talk about the faith of Abraham and Sarah Because Paul says a few millennium after they were dead That they never wavered in faith But a simple reading in the book of Genesis of the life of Abraham Certainly seems to lead us to a different conclusion. Because when you read about the life of Abraham, this is what you find You find that he out of fear left the promised land and went back to Egypt Out of fear he lied on several occasions over some really important things Like I'm not married His cowardice put his wife at great risk more than once and God had to rescue her both he and Sarah laughed when God said I will give you a child if you read in the book of Genesis the story of God making this promise about a child Abraham laughed so hard he fell down on the ground and said how can this possibly be with an old dude like me That's the New Living, Living translation. Sarah laughed at the promise of God. And when God said, Why did you laugh? What did she do? She lied to the Almighty. I didn't laugh. And you know what God did? Gave her a son. No lightning. No punishment. Why not? Because the God with whom we have to do understands our weaknesses. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that we have a high priest who understands our failure. He understands our struggle. And then that chapter ends with, draw near to him and to his throne. For the power of grace will change you. Why could Paul say Abraham never wavered? Number one, because God saw his heart, not just his outward actions. How many are grateful that your heart is not always revealed in the way you act? uh, God made the statement about David to Samuel. Man looks on the outward, I look on the heart. But there is another reason why God through Paul could say, Abraham did not waver. And that was because near the end of his life, when the word came to him, offer up your own son." And kill what I have given you. He did not hesitate. He wavered a lot through his journey, but the end of his story is he obeyed God unto death. His story was not over when he fell down laughing. Your story is not over. Your struggle with God meeting your needs, your story's not over. So when the lie of condemnation says, you know what, you you, you got too much unbelief. Just respond by saying, yeah, and I ain't done either. I've got a high priest who knows me and understands me, and he is not finished with me yet. And the promise he's given me is the moment I see him face to face, I will be forever made like him. Paul's summation in this chapter is this. The words, quote, it was credited to Him were not written for Him alone but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in Him who raised Jesus from the dead who was delivered over to death for our sins and life for our justification. Jesus died to pay for your sin but He lives so that you might be able to have Him living in you by His Spirit and justification working on your behalf. This is all all of this is so God gets all the credit. All of this. Is so you and I become the recipients. He gets all the credit. God gets all the credit for your faith. Your faith is the result of having your mind renewed about the faithfulness of God. Hebrews 11 says that Abraham and Sarah did what they did because they counted him faithful who had promised. They doubted the specifics of the promise time and time again. But they did believe that the one who made the promise was faithful. You don't need to struggle to have faith. You need to keep renewing your mind in how faithful God has been, how faithful He has promised to be. Your redemption. He gets the credit. He paid for it. Your righteousness. He gets the credit. He paid for it. Your justification. He gets the credit. He paid for it. He made it happen. And our growing sanctification, which is us being made more and more like Him, it's the work of His grace Our responsibility is to believe. And by the way, he's the only one that can do this. It cannot be possibly done by anybody else. You can't do it. I can't do it. The law could never do it. No one can, but Christ in you can because he is the one perfect God-man who has come on your behalf. And if you're a believer, God's hope for you, his desire for you, his wish for you is that you live condemnation free. But the reality is that we all in some way or another struggle with it. We can be set free from it. That is the promise of the new covenant, that the Holy Spirit wants to keep renewing our minds, breaking off of our thinking the wrong kind of thinking that causes us to feel condemned. Condemnation steals our faith. Condemnation makes us doubt the love of God and not be able to enjoy Him and His love for us. But the good news is that the Holy Spirit can easily Wipe condemnation out of your mind, out of your emotions. But it does require you drawing near to Him. I'd like for you to stand if you would, please. If you're here this morning and you have not yet turned the ownership of your life over, we're going to have some of our friends come up who want to pray for you. They want to agree with you that the Holy Spirit will bring you to the Son so that He can come and live inside of you. He already paid for the forgiveness of your sins. He's waiting for you to receive that. He already made a way for Him to live in you by the power of His Spirit. He's simply waiting for you to draw near to Him and believe it, and He'll cause you to receive it. So if you've not given your life to Christ, I want to encourage you before you leave this building to come up to the front for a few minutes here. This is the most important decision you're ever going to make. For us believers, You're still battling with these, and many of us do, all of us do in one way or another, but there is a way to live without this, and there's a way to grow out of this constant wheel or circle of condemnation, but it requires the work of the Holy Spirit renewing our minds. You most definitely should invest a few minutes to come up here and have some of our prayer people agree with you in prayer that the Holy Spirit would renew your mind, so that these words are not just words written in ink on paper, but they become living words that transform you in every way. So, Father, we're asking you right now, for any who's joined us today who have not yet turned over the ownership of their life to you, we're asking you to reveal your love for them, to drop faith in their hearts, to believe that what we've been talking about is not a fairy tale. It is actually the truth. And it's the way you want them to be able to live and enjoy life now and for eternity what is required is for them to draw near to you and surrender the ownership of their life lord i pray for your people who are here today that still struggle with grasping these things it requires a work of the spirit may you do that work and cause these words to become living words changing us from the inside out in jesus name amen hebrews chapter 2 makes an amazing statement. It says, because he is the one who is both sanctified and is sanctifying us, he is not ashamed to call us his family. Right now, not someday, but right now, if you live with any sense of shame, you need to come up and get prayer and leave without it. You need to leave that here. If you're embarrassed by your struggles, you need to leave that here. So that the Holy Spirit can continue to do the work of grace in your life Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this message, please connect with us at Abbotloop.org and like us on Facebook. Services in Anchorage, Alaska are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We hope to see you soon.